The weather may be cooling down, but the savings are heating up at your local Sears Auto Center. This Labor Day, you could get four durable all-season diehard tires and only pay for three. Plus, you'll also get a $100 Sears Award card to use on future purchases. Great savings backed with a 70,000 mileage warranty. Die hard. Don't wait. Visit SearsAuto.com to find a Sears near you and take advantage of this Labor Day sale. Installation required. Exclusions may apply. Offer valid now through September 9th. Joining me tonight here on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight I'm looking forward to sharing two really great guests with you. First up, I'm going to get a return visit from former NHL star Dan Quinn. Dan played center in the NHL from 1983 to 1997 for eight different franchises, including my, including my favorite, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Dan is a multi-time winner out on the Celebrity Tour. He has also spent some time caddying for guys like Ernie Elson, John Daly, Yost uh, Lauten. So Dan has got a world of great stories and a lot of great experiences. I'm going to tap into Dan's caddy experience tonight to get his thoughts on what caddies do when their player is in the midst of making a what looks to be like a really bad decision out on the golf course. Remember, you know, back not that long ago, right, Jason Day at 18 on the third round of the PGA Championship. What goes through a caddy's mind? What can a caddy say? Where, where, where is it, you know, does the caddy cross the line? So we'll get Dan, uh, Dan's thoughts on that. We'll also get his thoughts on things like, you know, one of my favorite passages from Rick Riley's book, Who's Your Caddy? And, you know, Rick in that book spent some time, uh, got the caddy in a practice round with the Masters for Tommy Aaron. And uh, as uh, Rick would tell, you know, tell the ball things, try to talk to the ball like we all do, right? Get up, get down, you know, don't don't hook, just that, that sort of thing. Tommy Aaron told him, keep your mouth off my ball. So is that an unspoken rule for caddies not to talk, you know, to the player's ball? We'll hear what Dan has to say about that. Plus, I'll also get Dan's thoughts on one of his favorite places to play, and that's Shinnecock Hills, which uh, is going to be the host of the U.S. Open next year. So we'll get uh, some of Dan's thoughts on Shinnecock, and uh, maybe I'll sneak in a question or two about the Penguins as well. So a lot to talk with with Dan. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll be joined by former PGA Class A professional and now CEO of Smart Ball Golf, Rick Marcy. Rick spent some time serving in our military over in Germany. He was also a Class A professional while he was over there. He was also an assistant golf professional at the Ridge Country Club up in Sandwich, Massachusetts. Plus, he spent some time on the operations side of golf as well. And so, like I said, you know, he's uh, he's got a great new company, Smart Ball Golf, which has a very cool training aid that helps you first understand where the bottom of the arc of your swing is and then helps you train to hit the ball first so, you know, we can start taking the divots like we see that the, the pros do out on tour. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more when, uh, when uh, Rick joins me here a little bit later on in this half hour. So we've got more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. And as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondonero about the great things they have coming up this fall. Fall golf is gorgeous at French Lick Resort. 
Perched on one of the highest points in Indiana, the Pete Dye course hosted the first ever senior LPGA championship this summer. Ask the ladies, the views are spectacular. The venerable Donald Ross course is looking better than ever as it celebrates its centennial. Go to FrenchLick.com and save with our Hall of Fame package. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort this fall. Yeah, folks, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place it is and to book your stay as well. I also want to remind you about our new friends over at Kinetic Sports, makers of Club Hub Sensors, the most comprehensive swing analysis and shot tracking tool in golf. If you're like me and you want to know all the data related to your swing, whether it's your swing speed, distance you hit every club in your bag, your swing tempo, angle of attack, and so much more, then Club Hub Sensors are what you're looking for. And guess what? You can get all that data for every shot, whether you're on the course or on the range. Plus, their iPhone and Android apps have thousands of courses preloaded and mapped out for you. So not only will you be able to get your GPS distances to your target or to the hazards, but you'll also be able to look back and see exactly where and how far you hit each shot. Think of what that's going to do for you for your preparation for the next time you're going to go play that same course. The app will also track the average distance you hit each club in your bag, so no more guessing or approximating. Are you ready to improve your game? Are you ready to take what you know about your swing to a new level, either on the course or on the range? Well, Club Hub is going to get you there. See what they can do for you at clubhubgolf.com and use the promo code NEXT to get 10% off on all products. Again, clubhubgolf.com. We're also excited to welcome the Ben Hogan Equipment Company to Next on the Tee. The Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company, they are back, and they've got the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markups that you hate. Now you can buy premium Ben Hogan irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags directly from the factory at prices that your wallet's going to appreciate. Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com or give them a call to order at 844-53-HOGAN. Again, 844-53-HOGAN. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. Their new fall collection is out, and it's time to update your wardrobe with enduring style from the Bobby Jones Apparel Company. See what a great line of new fall clothes they've got available by going online again to bobbyjones.com. And folks, if you've been with us over the last several months, you've heard me talking about the great things that Russ Holden and the folks at Caddy for a Cure are doing. I believe so much in Russ and his team that we are so proud to be partnering with them now. One of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to not only have the time of your life, but you're also going to be supporting our wounded service members and a very dreaded disease, Fancona anemia. Please, you're going to get to go inside the ropes and walk side by side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to, you know, this amazing experience, right, you're also going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, and it includes Under Armour logo apparel, an eyewear package, a tour-grade Caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a tin cup ball marking gift, and chef's cut real jerky. Plus, you'll also get professional photographs of your day as well. Go to caddyforacure.com to learn more about this wonderful opportunity. All right, now back with me and making his fifth appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dan Quinn. Let me remind you about Dan's background. He's from Ottawa, Ontario, grew up in Brockville, Ontario, played hockey in the NHL from 1983 to 1997 with the Flames, Penguins, Canucks, Blues, Flyers, North Stars, Senators, and Kings. 
He was a co-winner of the Penguins Player of the Year Award in 1986-87 season, and that award is voted on by the players and given to the player who exemplifies leadership for the team, both on and off the ice, and who is dedicated to teamwork. Over the course of Dan's hockey career, he, he scored 266 goals, had 419 assists, so a total of 685 points in 805 games. In golf, he has been you know, one of the top players out on the Celebrity Tour. He's competed at the American Century Classic for years, won it five times, finished in the top 10 18 times. He's caddied out on the PGA Tour for guys like John Daly, Ernie Els, Yost Lauten, and uh, you know a couple other guys, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. And I'm excited Dan is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Dan, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, a great, great intro, and thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So, so Dan, first of all, catch us up. What have you been doing? Last time we we spoke, I think it was back in the spring. What have you been doing so far? Uh, this, you know, over the summer. Well, I've kind of, uh, you know, the uh, Tahoe thing kind of ran its course after 23 years. So I've been uh, through my son's eyes and whatnot. I've I've dove back into the hockey world, and I live down in South Florida, which we can talk about a little bit because we're, as I mentioned to you on the pre-game pre-show, is uh, prepping for a massive storm here. Um, so yeah, I've, I've dove back into getting involved with the kids and helping kids and try to make you know, the third largest state in the country have some kids that are produced <laughs> that are NHL quality. So yeah, as you as you mentioned, yeah, we were talking <coughs> off air. Yeah, we got Hurricane Irma. You know, kind of looks like it's headed your way through through South Florida. And you know, uh, friends of ours on the football side, I know as you know, communicating John Bach, who's a uh, former offensive lineman for the Dolphins, was showing some pictures on Facebook where, you know, everything's gone, everything's off the shelves, no water, no none of that stuff. How, how are you preparing for the big storm? I played golf today with Ernie Els. That's what I did. And I decided that I would wait <laughs> till Thursday. I would wait till and two friends of ours. We have a little little fivesome that we call the Badgers. Uh, it's based on the Honey Badgers. And, um so anyways, we played golf today, and everybody was like, this, 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 this. I said, you know what? I've been through this now. I've been down here 20 winters, so I'm going to wait till Thursday and make a decision. I think there's a good chance that Florida gets hit with a devastating storm, but I think our particular area will um, only get some uh, some winds and stuff. Um, fil- finishing up before I forget, because I'm getting old, I, I played with Michelle McGann based on your French Lick uh, endorsement. Michelle McGann in a tournament or an event or a day thing here a couple of weeks ago, and she played in that first ever LPGA Hall of Fame. I, I, you can tell me what the exact name of it was, but I never heard, yeah, a, heard a human being hear, talk about something so powerful and how much it was so exciting for her. And so that was a it was a great thing that French Lake hosted, and great that you're speaking of it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fantastic place. I can't tell you what what a wonderful you know, at least, you know, two or three golf courses that they've got up there. The Pete Dye and the Donald Ross courses are absolutely outstanding. Highly recommend. If you get a chance, Dan, you need to go check that out. So, Dan, I, I also I wanted to get your thoughts, and you might have heard in the intro to the show, you know, a few weeks ago, Jason Day at the PGA Championship, you know, in particular, you know, on the 18th hole in the third round, you know, he was right in the thick of the tournament, drove his ball into the trees, and instead of chipping out, you know, to give himself, you know, maybe a, a tougher opportunity, obviously, to make par. More likely, he probably walks away with bogey, but he still gives himself a chance on Sunday. He's still right there. But instead, he tried, a, you know, kind of a crazy hero shot that resulted in him making an eight and really taking himself out of the tournament. As a guy who's been on the bag, you know, for Ernie Els and John Daly in major championships, when your guy is lining up for a shot like that. Do you ever pull them aside and say, you know, hey, hang on a second here. Let's think about this for a minute. You know, what you're what you're considering here 
could cost us the tournament. Can you do those sorts of things, or is that a no-no? Absolutely, absolutely. You have to do that. Otherwise, you're you're not doing them. You're not you're not performing the service that they actually require. Um, and I'm and I don't mean to say anything other. I, I know Cole, uh, Jason, and uh, you know Cole are a great great partnership, and they've had a great career. So I'm not meaning to pick on that one example. But um, as it relates to mine, I can tell you, uh, use Luton. I remember in uh, 2014 at um, at uh, Pinehurst in the U.S. Open, we had Easily, we're inside the cut number with four to go, like five shots inside the cut number, four shots inside the cut number, and on our on our the six hole there, which is a hard par three, he kind of hit a, a you know a bunker shot and then three putted for a double. All of a sudden, we were back on the cut number, kind of like thinking about it with three holes to go. On the eighth eighth hole, to your hopefully this answers your question, I said to him, "You're hitting the only club that can go over the green." He goes, "But it's the club to get to the pin." I said, "Well." I'm not thinking about hitting to the pin on Friday when we just want to make the cut. And I said that to him, and he still pulled the six iron and hit it over the back of the green. So meaning that if he could have hit the he could have hit a seven iron and been 25 feet short of it, or you know 30 feet short of it and two putted and easily had a and then he bogeyed the ninth and we missed the cut. And so you have to be able to sort of play the uh, odds and or the club selection that a, that a player decides and sort of give them those options. And if the player does it, then you've at least done your job. And, uh, I've always, I've always felt like that. Now, everybody that I've worked for, the, you know, the younger kids kind of hang on every word and you just talk them into a shot. And if, and if they don't believe the shots that are the clubs, the right choice, you know, they're going to probably hit a bad shot in any case and they're going to get mad at you. So you have to sort of make sure, make sure the information you're providing, they buy into. And, uh, Ernie was a great example of that moving backwards. And, um, he talks about all the time in 2013 at the U.S. Open and, Got to where if we birdied the 18th, there was a chance at a playoff. But, you know, he felt the five iron was the right club. And I knew that we hit a four iron and we had like 213 to the front, 232 to the hole or something like that. And I still remember the numbers. And I said to him, Ernie, we hit a four iron yesterday, exact same conditions. It flew 213. You have to fly this ball 213. But he did not believe it. And he pulled the five iron and, you know, came up 25 yards short of that number. And he still says to this day, you were right, but he felt it. And so there's two sides to the story. You know, you can't talk Jason Day out to hit his shot. He believes he can hit. You just have to give them the information and, you know, review it after. If I if I answer your question, hopefully I did it accurately. There's there's two scenarios to it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And you know, you just can't to expand on that a little bit, talk if about want to, if, if the care, the player doesn't want to hit the shot, can't see it. You cannot talk them out of it. You know, you you're not going to do it. It's it's going to be friction no matter what because they're not going to believe it even when they're over the ball. And so you just got to, you know, provide the information, give them what they, you know, they should hear. If you don't do that, you're not doing your job. So, you know, I didn't really pay attention too much to the Jason Day scenario. I did see the results. Uh, but that's the way I looked at it when I work, when I work under the, under the straps of a good player. And then you talk about believing it, right? So in the conversation where you disagree on club selection, ultimately, you know, the, the player's got to be in the right frame of mind to hit the shot. So at the end of it, do you, do you buy in? Do you at least, you know, agree? Okay, let's hit that. That's going to work. Or how, how do you, how do you, you know, part ways, uh, you know, figuratively, right? You know, he's, he wants to hit a five. You say he should hit a four. He's now going to stand over the ball. Are you saying anything positive to reinforce it? Or how do you, how do you walk away from that conversation? So the players in the right frame of mind to at least attempt the shot. Yeah. So then that's, I basically would say, you know what? You, there's no way I'm talking you out of this, and I would just go go with what you feel. 
you know, you're the one with the name on your back. You know, that's you got to make them feel that when they stand over it, you made this choice. I want to make sure you know you made this choice and you feel that shot. So now go ahead and hit it. And you know what? Most times, on most occasions, they they might be right. So there's you know there's two sides to it. But uh, you know there's there's statistical numbers sometimes where you know as a caddy in certain situations and the bigger the situation, you need to be able to sort of speak up to what you feel is the accurate information and and you also got to trust that you know what the feel is but you know adrenaline's a tough thing to gauge you know if a player's got adrenaline and they think that they can hit a nine iron in this particular situation 12 12 yards further than they normally do you you know it's hard for me because i played it's hard for me to talk them out of that so i just say go with what you feel but when there's a you know there's a certain number to cover and there's a certain you know result you know, I'm pretty adamant about let's not hit the shot. The only club that can hit it over the green or under the, you know, short of the green in the water. I'm pretty sure that I'm, you know, like I said, I, that's why I use the use Luton example. I said, you're hitting the only club that can go over the green if you club it, you know, if you hit it flush. You know, I've hit a seven iron. We'll get definitely to the front. We'll have 25 feet for birdie, and we just want to make the cut and then play the weekend. And, you know, he took the club, and I said, if that's what you feel, go for it. And he hit it over the green. And it was, it was just sort of, I'm giving you two scenarios, you know, so you got, you got to know that the guy, if I had given him the seven iron, he might've duck hooked it, trying to overswing it or duffed it or whatever. You just never know. So you just have to provide information and, and then speak your mind. But if the player doesn't feel it, ultimately you got no chance. They have to, they have to go on over the ball and say, I got it, you know, so they have to feel that what they're doing is right. And for the most part, they are, we, we come up with a decision that are right. So I'm, I'm giving you two scenarios that didn't work out. But for the most part, it always works out. And it's interesting, Dan. You mentioned adrenaline and and how difficult that is to gauge. How how do you deal with that? I you know I'm you know a couple of, you know at the same at the same turn right at the PGA right. Justin Thomas you know gets a 17 and he, he hits a seven iron because he believes that the adrenaline. Typically, he would hit a six, but he believes that the adrenaline at that point in the tournament in that moment that the seven iron was going to be the right club. And obviously it was the right club. How do you gauge those sorts of things as a caddy with, with your player? Because it could go really well like that one did, or you could severely under club and who knows what can end up happening from there. How do you, how do you address that? How do you gauge for that? Well, there's, you know, that particular shot, I, I watched that and, you know, Justin's a great kid. I, I've been lucky enough to get to know him and I've known his dad. Actually, his dad used to be a, I know you've dropped, uh, I'm just giving you some information. I don't know if you know he was an assistant pro at the field club in Pittsburgh back when I played for the Penguins. So there's a, oh, there's a little that? connection there. And I ran into, uh, you know, Justin's dad over the, the course of his last couple, three years, actually four years since he turned pro in, in 2013 at the Dunhill. Um, but to answer your question, Chris, is that the truth is the number that he was looking at was the front, not the pin. And he knew that if he was, you know, he, he didn't want to, if he flies it to the pin, it was going to go to the back. So he had a number, and the, the pin, I think, was probably on 17, 18, 22 yards or something like that. But he knew that if he hit a flush 7-iron from whatever, that's what tour pros do versus amateurs. And, you know, they, they have all those information, and there's a little bit of helping wind, a little bit of adrenaline. I can fly a 7-iron 190, and it was 212 pin. And that's that's how they do it. Uh, and, and that's the those are just the simplest ways to look at it. And, um that's when you have to decide, well, if he hits a six iron, which is the pin yardage, that brings the back of the green and the water over the green into play. And, and so that was a good example that you brought up. But that's where the players got to know, I think I can flush a seven iron 190, even though it's my 185 club, uh, I'll easily hit it. And he did. He flew it like a, he flew probably 200 yards. 
And then we, we've heard that, you know, Bones had, you know, one veto a year when he was, you know, on Phil's bag. Is that is that something, do veteran caddies, you know, if you've been with your player for a long time, is that is that a normal thing? Do, do the guys get you know, sort of one veto a year, or is that just an arrangement between Phil and Bones? That's Phil and Bones, and, you know, I, I got a ex-tour pro friend of mine that the truth of the matter is the best caddies are usually the best players, meaning that, you know, Jack Nicholas won with his son at the Masters in 86. And Nick Faldo won, you know, the, and they do TV now. They're, they're the best players. I've caddied for Ernie Els. If he caddied for you, he's not going to give you bad information. So you have to, to be a good caddy, you have to really kind of realize that. Now, the new modern game is there's a dialogue that's ongoing and quite substantive. But at the end of the day, it's it's if you make it more complicated and whatnot, you know, and if you're holding, if you're hitting, if they're hitting, hanging on every word to hit every shot, you know, you're probably that kid's not going to be around too long. So uh, that's my opinion on it. Again, I'm a 52 year old, a little bit older than the kind of mentality. But um, the veto thing, if if the guy asks, it's it's his mistake for asking if he doesn't accept the answer. And so there's, I think more, I think you get more than one veto. You <laughs> you have to have more than one veto if the guy's going to ask. You know, if you're going to read a putt, well, you asked. That's what I saw, and that's what I thought, and that's how you have to look at it. And but if you tell him what he thinks you think he wants to hear and you don't see it, you're probably going to, that's the one, those are the times you're going to probably have a little bit of a uh, meltdown after or, or get fired. And Dan, speaking of, you know, Phil and Bones, were you surprised earlier this year when you heard they were parting ways or having been down that path with players that you caddy for, you know, do relationships, do, do caddy and pro relationships eventually go stale and you, you really both do need to move on after a while? Yeah, no, it's a very unique uh, professional relationship that's probably probably not uh, prevalent in any other sport. Um, I mean, I guess I watch Yvonne Lendl's with you know the coaches in tennis, and but an individual sport, these guys are you know they're their own boss, and you know they they really have to do what they think is best. Um, to answer your question completely, I could not believe. Um, and I watched the body language. I think I forwarded you an interview that I did some time ago with a good friend of mine down here. But when I saw the right. body language at the um, at the Players Championship between Phil and Bones, I said, "Wow, there's something wrong there." And then, you know, surely, then I think the next tournament Phil played, he made a decision to go a different direction. So, you know, when that relationship is not so, that means that to answer your question, nothing's for life. There's not a player that's had one caddy every tournament he's ever played, and and I don't think there ever will be. So there's some special relationships ongoing now, and I mean. Ernie and I said today, I mean, these two great kids that we, you know, let her, let date our daughters, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth have won nine tournaments this year. You know, it's, it's a, it's a special time in golf and there's a golf's in great hands. And those guys also have good relationships with their caddies, but I, I'll be, you know, we're going to all sit back in 10 or 12 years and something will have changed from one way, from one way or another, a bad year or two or a bad, you know, a bad run and, and changes are made. And that's the, that's the caddy. The caddy's the easiest one to change. And Dan, as I was doing in the intro, Rick Riley wrote a book called Who's Your Caddy several years ago. And in it, he talks about getting the opportunity to caddy for 1973 Masters champion Tommy Armour during a practice round, you know, a few years, you know, a few years ago. And he would say things, you know, he would talk to the ball, you know, get up, bite, cut, you know, those sorts of things. And Aaron told him to keep his mouth off his ball because he didn't know what Aaron was trying, you know, to do with the ball. Is that just a quirk? from Tommy Armour, or do most, you know, players want their caddies to, you know, kind of what, the, the three-ups, right? Show up, keep up, shut up. Well, 
you know, I, I listened to your, so this is a, I'm sorry, it's going to be a little bit of a, I'll, I'll try to get to the, as a player, you know, I was always like, don't hand me my putter if I'm not 100% sure I'm on the green, you know, because if you get up there and then you got to pull the putter back and put it in and there's a sandwich, you know, you get a chip because you're on the fringe or you're not on the green. That guy, that caddy just jinxed the player. I mean, then the player's mind. I mean, you, what did you just do to me? <laughs> I thought it was on the green. You gave me the putter. <laughs> so there's a lot of little, in, uh, and I'll tell a story, I would, and I'll tell it to his face, is, you know, Ernie Els. Um, you generally, if you see and you're sure a shot's good, you would say be right, and you know. But if you say be right and it lands in a bunker, you know, you look like a fool. So a, a good caddy's pretty generally sure before you yell something like that out. Uh, that said, in the 2010 Masters, when I caddied for Ernie, um, he was, you know, first round jitters a little bit, a little intense, and there was the we got on the second hole, hit it in the bunker in two, and I pulled out his putter and and he was in the bunker. I was pulling out his putter and grabbed the rake, and he goes, don't you ever pull out the putter, bro, before I hit a bunker shot, because I'm going to sink it sometimes. So you had to, like, think, oh, well, I'll get it. I didn't mean to do that, bro. And then we go to the seventh hole, and it was in the air, and I pulled the putter out of the bag, and he goes, are you sure that's on the green? Because you couldn't tell. Is it the seventh green at Augusta? You can't tell if your ball's on the green. I said, dude, they're clapping, and I know it's on the green. So just can you just grab this, and can we calm down? But that's sort of the mentality of everything. You know, you've got to be careful as a caddy, too. You don't want to agitate your player. And I know as a player, when I've played, you know, don't tell me to knock it in. Okay, I'm going to try to knock it in And on, a, on the putting green. There's there's things that we say as friends that don't come across for a, uh, lack of a better word, a moody, fra- uh, you know, fragile golfer. And then I, as I was, you know, kind of reading over some other things in your career, I, I, I found an article uh, from a few years ago uh, when Dustin Dustin Johnson had actually parted ways with his caddy, Bobby Brown. And I read that you guys were, were considering or maybe you were on the bag for him for a short time. Talk Is that accurate? Were you were you on the bag for uh, for DJ for a little while? Yeah, I was the first guy he called. I got a, I got a, we had a mutual friend at the time back in, um, so I don't want to bring up the, it was a political thing when there was a, uh, Osama bin Laden got killed actually. So that's when I was, it was 2011, I think May at Charlotte. And he called me and he said, um, can you come to Charlotte and caddy? And I went, what? What happened to Bobby Brown? And we had a mutual friend. So he did call me and I did go to Charlotte. Um, but he had a lot of moving parts, management coaches and stuff that, you know, I knew there wasn't, I wasn't the one that they wanted to have there. Um, we've since become, you know, I'm, I'm friendly with him and I've obviously great friends with his father-in-law or, you know, soon to be father-in-law. And, uh, we've had many talks about that particular instance. So, uh, being Wayne Gretzky. So it's, um, yeah, but I did, I did a week for Dustin back then and, um, you know, he's made a great choice. So he's got a great relationship with his brother, which you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't even think, I would say this to Austin's face. He's not the best caddy out there, but it's the perfect, it's a perfect situation for, um, for him and his brother. And they're, they're great friends and they get along and all the dead time, you know, it, it can help, uh, alleviate a couple of maybe, uh, in, you know, inconsistent decisions uh, as a caddy on the golf course. Uh, they really get along and it's, it's been a great run they've had. And Dan, you've tweeted out pictures in the past of Shinnecock Hills and, and said it's uh, your favorite place on the world in the world by far, and uh, it's the site of next year's U.S. Open. What is it about Shinnecock that you love so much, and uh, what do you think they're going to be looking at next year at the U.S. Open? Well, it's funny. We uh, I had a tentative tentative game to go up there and play today, 
three weeks ago with some friends, and I learned that the USGA was uh, had begun their shaping and contouring and um, of the fairways just today as we speak, the day after Labor Day. So why do wow. you say that? So the, typically for me, the best time to go to the Hamptons is everybody leaves after Labor Day. They go back into the city or their other parts of the world, and you can go up and play some of the best golf courses in the world um, today, the Tuesday after Labor Day. And so I had it scheduled it, and then I would found out through my friend that was a member and other people that they were actually, the USGA was going to begin contouring the fairways and, you know, verticutting the fairways today, which they did. So we canceled the trip. Uh, so even with the storm coming, I probably would have had to cancel in any case. But, um, you know, Chris, when you stand, you know, I'm a big fan of Oakmont, Shinnecock, uh, but something about Shinnecock, you stand on the first tee, you can see almost every hole. They've cleaned it up beautifully. Uh, it's there's not a shot that you don't enjoy. There's not a hole that is unfair, and there's not. Um, I don't. It's just a special place, and it's extremely challenging. I love playing a major golf course that you know, as it sets up for the members, is a major golf course. But you can play it, and um, I think most a lot of people will tell you it's one of the. You know, it's just a great walk, and it's uh, there's not there's nothing about it you don't enjoy if you truly enjoy golf. Dan, just a couple more quick ones before we let you go. And uh, like I said, you played out on the Celebrity Tour for for many years. Guys like you know Rick Roden and Jack Wagner were guys that uh, were you know near the top of, of those leaderboards pretty consistently. There were some other you know guys that uh, you know from the from my era you know back in the '70s playing you know from the, from baseball. Like I remember Johnny Bench being out there and Mike Schmidt being out there. Talk about you know who were some of the guys. That uh, you know some of the other athletes that uh, that were really really good. Well, that's yeah, you know, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, uh, the whole celebrity at that time, you know, we we didn't. <clears throat> I don't think there's that many modern players that play golf to the level that of some of the you know these Hall of Famers that you just mentioned, uh, of which I'm not one, but I did play golf at a high level uh, because of the training that goes on year round and the money they make. So to to your to your point though. The Mike Schmitz, the Johnny Benches uh, in baseball. The, I've always found, you know, John Elway, Dan Marino. Um, you know, there was a it was an era there where we had, you know, we took when we took a couple months off. You know, we we played golf, and now these guys, the modern players, you know, they, it's such a full twenty four, uh, twelve month a year, twenty four seven business, uh, and the money they make, they don't they don't have that. They play it, but it's trainings first. You know, it's it's a little secondary part of their day. And, but there was so many, there's so many great players and guys that, uh, I go back to, you know, where I got to in golf. And, you know, you heard the interview, you know, a couple of months ago as it related to Steph Curry. You know, I thought it was great for, you know, for golf. And, you know, Steph didn't present himself to be a, I don't know Steph at all, but I, I didn't present, he didn't present himself to be as good as a tour pro. He just took an invitation and played and, and, you know, didn't break, didn't, he broke 80 twice, which was great. The, Guy that I always maintained was a, I think, 10 or 12, 14, 15 years quarterback was John Brody, and he also won a senior tournament on the, on the senior PJ Tour in 92. And, you know, so there was guys back then, and, and even in my era, I, I mean, myself, I tried to qualify and made it into a couple of tournaments that I got into on my own. Um, but again, I, I've seen, in, I've been inside the ropes, so I, I don't pretend to say that, you know, I tried to play P, professional golf, but, I don't pretend to say that I was good enough to do it. And, and most guys that play another sport, uh, especially now with the, the dedication it takes to play their, their particular sport are, are going to struggle against these tour pros. 
Um, the quality of golf, as I said to Ernie the other day, you know, the, the cut line in the top 25 isn't much different. It's just that there's 100 different guys can do it versus 30. So it's it's a you know, golf's improved just like all of our sports. So I probably got a little off base on your question, but there's um, no, it's it's just a different era from 20 years ago when we had dead time that we could play a lot of golf and apply it to that sport. Guys now work hockey players. I mean, it's it's a full time, it's a all year round job, and they train, they hire trainers, and so on and so forth. So to to go work on a short game and play golf for two three straight months, and then pick up golf or sorry, pick up hockey and go back to camp, it doesn't happen anymore. But that's how we did it. Dan, one more before I let you go, and you know I can't let you go without getting your thoughts on the Penguins. They've won uh, the Stanley Cup now back-to-back years. Can they three-peat? Definitely. Yeah, they got. Uh, you know, if you look at if you look at what uh, I guess I got three three answers to that. One, they got a number one goalie. Uh, they made a great decision to keep uh, Flurry around last year, and it, it proved to be you know paramount in their in their cup run, but. Um, you know, they've got a great number one goalie, a young kid, 22, 23 years old. They had a player who was the best player in the NHL go through a time where he didn't even make the all-star game. I don't think in 2016 has now won two cups and a consmite since then. And then you have, um, most of the core players back, but in, in my opinion, Chris Letang, if he's healthy, it makes them even a better team than they were last year that won the cup. Now, they did lose some bodies. They added some bodies, but Chris Letang's one of my favorite players in the NHL to watch. And, uh, if he's healthy and he comes back, um, with all of the, you know, the pieces that are in place, I think that there's, you know, they're definitely the team to beat. Let's put it that way. So, Dan, before we let you go, remind our listeners about how they can stay up to date with all the great things that uh, you're doing, whether it's online or over social media. I just got that. Twitter account, I don't know, I don't even remember what it is, Dan Quinn slash 10 or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm going to go out and do some stuff with, with uh, Ernie Els again. He's uh, 48, soon to be 48. He's playing unbelievable. We're still good friends, so I've, you know, we've, we're talking about doing some work again and go see if I can have a good run with him, which I'm looking forward to because he's, you know, I hate, I hate to see somebody that got so much left in him and he wants to do it, so, you know, I, I want to do it. And then I'll be, uh, I'm really active in the hockey community here in South Florida, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, good luck with, uh, A, first of all, good luck with the storm. Our thoughts are, you know, with you and everyone in, down in South Florida like it is over in, uh, in Houston and Texas right now. But uh, hopefully the, the storm sideswipes you guys and you guys are okay. And then, uh, you know, good luck with Ernie. And hopefully if uh, the two of you guys are at uh, Augusta National next year, we'll get an opportunity to catch up with both of you. We may not be at Augusta, but I think he'll get a, as a two-time champion, get an invite to Shinnecock, which would be a, a fun week for me. Well, there you go. Dan, thanks so much. Best of luck. Thanks for being on the show again tonight. Look forward to hopefully catching up with you again real soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care, Dan. That is a former NHL star, you know, champion, multiple-time champion out on the Celebrity Tour and uh, and caddy Dan Quinn. And uh, as you heard from Dan, great stories. He's a great guy. They just don't come better than Dan Quinn. And hopefully everybody down in South Florida is okay, obviously, you know, for the storm coming up here in the next few days, Dan and his family. And then, uh, like I say, our thoughts are also tonight still with, uh, with all the folks still dealing with uh, the last hurricane over in Houston. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Rick Marcy, I want to recognize some of our other sponsors. And first, I want to remind you about our good friends over at SyncIt.com. 
you know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the Tee and have a positive approach both in life and out on the golf course. Well, we're excited to be partnering with the folks over at SyncIt.com. Keep putting that positive thought of sinking the putt in your mind with their great line of T-shirts and hats. You know, to win any tournament, you got to sink the final putt. We all wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, and get better each and every day. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check them out online at sinkit.com. also want to give another shout-out to our, our newest uh, sponsor over at Kinetic Sports, makers of Club Hub Sensors, the most comprehensive swing analysis and shot tracking tool in golf. If you're like me, folks, and you want to know all the data related to your swing, whether that's your swing speed, distance you hit every club in your bag, your swing tempo, angle of attack, and so much more, then Club Hub Sensors are what you need. And guess what? You can get all of that data for every shot, whether you're on the course or out on the range. Plus, their iPhone and Android apps have thousands of courses preloaded and mapped out for you, so you're going to be able to get your GPS distances to your targets and out to the hazards as well. But you'll also be able to look back and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. Think of what that's going to do for your preparation the next time you're going to go play that same golf course. The app will also track the average distance you hit each club in your bag. No more guessing or approximating. If you're ready to take your game to a new level, and if you're ready to learn everything about your swing, whether it's out on the course or out on the range, then Club Hub is going to get you there. See what they can do for you at clubhubgolf.com and use the promo code NEXT to get 10% off on all products. Again, clubhubgolf.com. And I also want to remind you about our friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the course is essential whether you're playing, you know, uh, you know, on tour, right, your club championship, your weekend four ball with your buddies, Par Bar Golf. It's a nutritional golf bar that's going to help you do both of those things, better energy, better focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest every three holes until it's finished and you're going to play with more energy and focus. Par Bar was developed by a, long, a lifelong golfer and food scientist. And he is there to help, you know, golfers play their best with Par Bar Golf. Go to ParBarGolf.com to check them out online. I'm telling you, folks, I use it. I got my son using it now. So when we're playing, you don't, you know, you don't start to drag. You don't lose your energy. And you don't lose your focus when you get to the 14th, 15th hole, right? Again, go online, ParBarGolf.com to order yours today. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGASuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Rick Marcy. Let me give you some background on Rick. He graduated from the Golf Academy of the South. He was an assistant golf professional at the Ridge Club up in Sandwich, Massachusetts. From there, he became the locker room manager at Eastward Ho Country Club up in Chatham, Massachusetts. He's also been a PGA Class A professional with the PGA of Germany. He is now the CEO of Smart Ball Golf, and you can check them out online by going to smartballgolf.com. And I'm excited to have Rick with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris. How are you? Thanks for having me, buddy. So, Rick, let's start out by going all the way back. You know, talk to me about, you know, when did golf first become a passion of yours? Wow. <laughs> uh, 1986, while I was over in Wiesbaden, Germany, uh, in the military. I was a soldier in the Army for almost 10 years. Um, grew up in Massachusetts. 
actually went to school with Doug Flutie in uh, junior high and was on my Babe Ruth team. Wasn't really much of a golfer, was more into hockey. Interesting that you just had Dan Quinn on. I mean, the guy's a legend, um, you know. Uh, and just played golf for fun, Chris, in the beginning, you know, drinking beers. And, and you know, I could always hit a golf ball pretty far because of my slap shot. So I got hitting down on it and had a bad grip and didn't know it and had an all army player walk past me and say, Hey, that, uh, that right thumb needs to go on the left side of the grip. And, uh, I went, okay. And luckily this guy was such a good player. I mean, he really represented the army in inner service championships and stuff. Changed my grip, started watching TV and really looking at technically the swing motion a bit and realizing, wow, everybody's got that, you know, thumb over the other side. And I was bracing the club, you know, slicing everything, but could hit it pretty far. And that's why I wasn't any good. And that's when I really started playing a lot was in 86 in the Army, became community golf champion of my community in, in Germany, came back to Fort Bragg in early 90s won the base championship at Bragg and that's kind of what sent me on to the golf Academy of America in Orlando through a friend of mine that was going to the school at the time. Um, and that's when I made a career change, got out of the military after 10 years and decided that I wanted to follow my passion of becoming a golf professional instructor. And I had been playing golf, you know, for five years, then every chance I got, you know, became a psycho. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, Rick, you know, uh, our show can be heard on the Armed Forces Radio Network. So, if you don't mind, talk about your time serving in our military. Um, was a, was a great experience. I joined the Army in 1983 um, at 20 uh, years old, looking for some direction and some discipline, really on my own. wasn't really a you know military brat or knew much about the military. Got stationed out of, went to basic in uh, Leonardwood in Missouri. Went to my AIT. I was a mechanic, fixed um, Humvees and, and Jeeps and deuce and a halfs and, you know, smaller, up to five ton trucks. And uh, played everything. I was I was kind of a jack of all trades golf, you know, a sports guy. I played ice hockey on a German hockey team over there. I played tennis i was on the ski you know usura u.s army europe ski team i played golf i played ping pong six years in a row i was community ping pong champ i just like blessed to be a good athlete my dad was a good athlete growing up up north and um you know i was in the army all the way through desert storm was in europe during desert storm um we all didn't know obviously what was going to happen when it was being built up we all of Europe was on ready alert to, you know, come potentially back up the troops that were down there. So, you know, I was ready to do that as my whole unit was. And, you know, we wound up kicking their butt so quick that we got out of it. And I wound up going to Fort Bragg, which changed my life. I was supposed to go to Fort Carson, Colorado, um, had orders, got held over to, you know, be there as a support potential for Desert Storm. And then when I got reordered in July of 91, I went to Fort Bragg instead of Carson, Colorado. And that's where, you know, it was funny, but when I came on base, the first thing that you see coming on to Fort Bragg is the golf course on the left-hand side. And there was a big sign out front, marquee, 
post um, golf championships coming up within like two weeks of that time. Pulled straight in, signed up, got my handicap card, became a member. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later, I, you know, kind of shocked everybody. No one knew who I was and came in and shot, seven, I think I shot 73, 73 the first two days. And everybody was like, who's this kid from Germany, you know? And uh, <laughs> just got into the whole Carolina golf scene, which was pretty cool being in the military. I played golf. One of my buddies was a guy named Joe Dennison, who was, the retired command sergeant major of the special forces, first special forces group, the Green Berets, was like my golfing buddy. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing how they all really took me under their wing, and I had a great time my last year before deciding to make, like I said, a, a career change and go to the golf academy. And you know, kind of through an act of God, I I ran into a guy up at at the Cape Cod Mall. Um, when I was on up home for Christmas on Christmas break from the school and the guy was, uh, from Germany, started talking to him a little bit in German. My German was pretty poor at that time and told him what I was going to this golf academy. I was about to graduate, become a golf professional, teach him pro. And he said, well, I know some, you know, a couple managers of some golf courses over in Germany. And I wound up getting a head pro offer straight out of the golf academy. Um, and, you know, I was single, didn't have kids, was 30. And so I went over to Germany to, to uh, you know, give it a shot. And, you know, 14 years later, I, I wound up coming back to the States after. And that was the integral part of my my training device that, that we've produced and we're manufacturing now. I actually invented it in Germany. It was a German company that originally did the electronics and everything came up with the concept um you know proof of concept was actually in germany to start with so let's go from there right so talk about smart ball golf you know it's a it looks like a very cool product rick talk about what it is and how it works well what it is is it's a it's it's an impact low point trainer that shows you know, if, as as a teaching pro and somebody that's given you know tens of thousands of lessons, you start to see, you know, the the standard people people innately want to hit upward on a ball to create play. You know, based upon tennis and volleyball and 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 ping pong and and racquetball, the ball's in the air. You hit upward to create that flight angle, and that's kind of what people try to do with golf and you notice for example i don't know what your golf background is chris but you know a lie board for fitting clubs um you put the ball on the lie board and then you hit off of it and you see marks on that lie board if you go to any lie board we could go to any golf course in the world find any pro the teacher and say hey could i see your lie board if you grab the lie board, any place we go, there's usually a little bit of like a screw hole where they take a drill and drill a little tiny hole for the, so that the ball sits on this plexiglass or plastic. Look where the scuff marks are. They're all going to be before the ball, up to, you know, eight inches, six inches, four inches, you know. If a, if a professional owned a lie board and it was only used by tour players, they would be after the ball, or maybe an inch or two prior to the ball, but no more than an inch or two max. And then all the scuff would be past the ball at the left half of that lie board. And we've invented, I've invented, so I'm thinking, okay, how can I capture, that's why a lot of people don't like range mats. When you hit off of a range mat, 
you can hit the grass five inches before the ball. The club just goes through the grass. The grass doesn't break up. No divot happens. No fat shot happens. They catch the ball and it flies good. So a lot of people get false results from range mats. And that's why I think a lot of people don't like range mats. So that was my plight was to think about, okay, how can we capture the location of where you're actually coming into the ball on an artificial surface? And that's where our guys came up with my device is basically if you thought about an elevator, you know, an elevator door is closing. There's a light curtain that's in the elevator in between the doors going across, you know, like a screen door. But it's, a, you know, it's an infrared invisible light curtain built to pick up um, this. I think they're designed from what I've read. The, the, a little, the fingertip of, of the small finger of a child. That's how tight that grid screen is. If you put your little fingertip in there, but the doors open up. So picture taking one of those light curtains, shrinking it down, flipping it from vertical to horizontal, and now we've laid it right across the top of the grass. I mean, as close, we, you can fit about 10 pieces of paper in between. The, if you laid 10 pieces of paper on top of the grass, they would be in the light curtain. That's how, that's how close it is. So your club comes down towards the ball. When you get about a sixteenth of an inch above the grass, you break through the light beam. You stay under it through along the grass and then come back out again after the ball, hopefully. And wherever you, you brush through that area, that's what lights up on the side of our unit. So it's showing exactly the the attack angle coming into the ball striking it and then how long you stay along the ground after the ball before you come back up a sixteenth of an inch away so if you were pulling up a lot of people would be lighting maybe a few lights after the ball because they're already lifting the club head upward trying to help the ball fly and then you that would you know obviously could make a ball fly but your weight's going to be hanging back your wrist caught you're releasing the lever system of your wrist too soon so anybody who's scooping or has their weight back is going to be too close to the ground too soon and lighting the red and the yellow light zone. And if you're coming down ball ground like a good golfer does, you'd be in the green zone. Um, and depending on what shot you want to do and, and what you're trying, you know, there could be plenty of good shots that are yellow, multiple yellow light shots. If you're working on your bunker game, your fairway, your greenside bunker game, you could be, um, practicing lighting two, you know, hitting the ground two inches before the ball is five yellow lights. So try to do 25 yellow light swings in a row. I guarantee you that almost no one out there, even, even the best in the world, our, our device is one centimeter per light apart from each other. So you're, you're less than a half an inch. If your our swing comes down and it's variated more than a half an inch forward or backwards from the last one, it's going to create a different pattern. So you're, it's helping with your consistency and first moving your swing more forward for most people. And then once you get forward enough that you're striking the ball solidly to maintain that by keeping that same pattern, if you can, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, in summary, right, you, you got the ball, it's on your device. What you're trying to do is get people to strike the ball first. So you're trying, the, the lights show you where your club is coming down on, you know, the AstroTurf, what would be the grass, right? So yeah. you know how far behind the ball 
you're actually hitting and then it's trying right. to train you to, you know, strike the ball first and not, not have the lights come on until after the ball. Exactly. At right around where the ball is sitting or a little bit left of there. And I think that mm-hmm. a big problem is, is that so many people, I've, I've had so many people that, you know, I, I've, I, if you've looked at, I'm sure you've checked out a lot of our Instagram stuff and Facebook page stuff and pictures and videos. Right. People are pretty good golfers. I mean, I've, 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 I've videotaped so many players, professionals, teaching pros. And I mean, I've, you would be so shocked at how many pretty good golfers club heads are brushing the mat the grass you know coming into the top of the grass of a range mat our device the ball sits eight inches um, from the beginning of the scanner so there's eight inches of lights prior to ball impact and people are touch are lighting the lights six inches before the ball and they don't believe that they're that low that they're that low that soon and I mean, all I can, I use V1 all the time and just show people, look at your club. Your club is, is sitting on the grass six inches before the ball. And now you're moving, now you're still going to keep coming forward. And, and these are, you know, 80 shooters, maybe 85 shooters, 75 shooters, you know, tour players. I guarantee you that they're lighting 10, 10 green. There's 15 green lights. The left half of the unit, if you cut the unit straight down the middle, the, the scanner, half of it's green, 15 green lights. To the right of the ball, there's 10 yellows, and then there's five reds before that. And the pros would be some of the steeper, I mean, and obviously different pros. You've got like a Zach Johnson who's a trapper hitting down on it. He'd probably only light eight, yellow, eight green. He'd hit the ball and then brush eight green. That's when he'd actually be coming down maybe 10 green. And then you've got other people that are more sweepers, depending on what shot. If you want to hit a ball up over a tree or, you know, you might light a six yellow uh, 15 green. But you should still be on the ground close to the grass. You know, you see it all the time when they do the, the biz hub slow-mo thing. You know, the, the club is still brushing the grass four, five, six inches after the impact the club is still either, you know, making the divot or at least brushing the grass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People talk about, I think it's uh, Stricker or um, one of those guys that he doesn't take divots, but but he's brushing the grass. You know what I'm saying? He's hitting the ball and then brushing the grass. And that's the thing about our, our light screen being above the ground. You don't have to smash. I'm not talking about, you know, making a huge divot. You can just learn to brush the grass lightly and you'd still be breaking the light curtain because it's above, it's just barely above the grass. So you don't have to, you know, mash it into the ground, but you need to be consistently, the attack angle coming into the ball needs to be consistent. And I don't know if you saw my, I did a post, uh, about four days ago of two time world junior golf champ, Young and Shun, who has her own unit and, um, I've watched her and, and filmed her. If she's hitting a standard seven iron, she's lighting somewhere between 13 greens and five yellow dependent. And she's trying to repeat the same shot, Chris. Exactly. You know, her goal is to repeat that same swing identical over and over and over. 
and your swing variates. You know, the variance of her, when you're talking about a plus four or five handicap golfer whose swing variates coming into impact somewhere between two, two and a half inches on average. And that's a, a plus four. So to come into the ball the same, the same, the same, the same, you see players, you know, where they, they do the divots, you know, on TV and they put the ball at the beginning of the edge of the divot hole and then they hit the ball and then you see them brushing the, the divot, basically the dirt after the ball. But what is picking up them coming into the ball? You know what I mean? You can't see that. They just know, okay, I caught the ball and you see a lot of shots that are, that are heavy, even on, even tour players that'll hit a shot going right for the green and then it lands 15 yards short. That's not always wrong club selection. A lot of times that's they hit the ground a half an inch or an inch too early and caught it what you know, oh he caught that a little bit heavy. Well, if you hit one heavy with my device, then it would show maybe five, six yellows. You know, if if your if your perfect shot is a all green or a one yellow or a two yellow and all of a sudden up oh, there's a four, there's a five, well that's gonna be a heavy shot. So using our device, you can just practice over and over and over getting your attack angle and your impact, I mean, within a half an inch perfect every shot. Really nothing so, like uh, it out, out there. So talk about, you know, because your device, it, it, it sits up, what, a couple inches off the ground, so the ball is an inch and three, not... An inch and the, the ball sits in the grass an inch and three quarters above the ground. But you got to realize you're standing in golf shoes that have soles on them that are at least three quarters of an inch thick spike. So the ball might be one inch above your 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 feet. You know, if you were barefoot in your shoe and you could measure it. And we have mats that go with it, standing mats that are like a body track size. You know, a yard by a half a yard that level it perfect. And we also have uh, three different sizes of of range mats that have holes cut out of them that this that our smart ball just sits right into so we have right. we have different ways to make it totally level um if you want to but trust me an inch uh height difference if you go to any driving range or you look down any fairway um they're not going to be no fairway in the world is within an inch of perfectly level you know what i mean and if you watch right. golfers when the ball's an inch or two you know, if you're six inches, eight inches, a foot or two, then you're going to do some some aiming left or aiming right, maybe choke down on the club or whatever. But an inch, you're never going to trust me. I, if you watch yourself, if you just thought about watching golf from now on when you watch TV golf and 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 look at the ball, if it's a little below or a little above their feet, an inch, they're not doing anything different. There's no. An inch isn't, it, it's not, people say that, and, I, you know, obviously that's an issue with, uh, now I would say if you're doing club fitting and you want to fit a club perfectly, then obviously I would want you to be standing perfectly level as well. But it, that's not the issue with your average golfer. It's not whether, you know, it fits a little bit above your your, your feet where you're standing. It's about the impact coming into the ball. Your, your hands are behind the ball, you know, the, the club is passing your hands to impact most players, and you can't light the green half and do that. It's not possible. If you look at right. some of our and you've got you know, a, before and after. No, I was just going to say, you've got a, but you've got a complete package, right? You've got, you've got the device oh, yeah. itself. Yeah, absolutely. you got the mat. Yeah. You've got a net 
right? That you can hit and have the ball come roll back to you, and so you can you know continue yeah. to practice over and over. Talk about the complete package that could you know that you can get one piece or you can get the whole thing. Yeah, you can get an entire setup. We use uh, we don't we don't sell them. We it's someone that that we recommend. It's the uh, company called Spornia.net and a guy named Casey Choi out of Los Angeles. Really super nice guy. And you see a lot of videos with our stuff. A lot of people use our mats with the full-size mats or the standing mat. Um, and depending on where you want to, you know, if you're set up at a permanent place or if you're just using it yourself, you can, we, we offer different packages and, you know, I can put people in contact with Casey as far as the, the nets go. We don't, sell the nets we i use the nets and i recommend those nets because it's so simple if you have your own indoor setup those his his self-returning it's the spornia.net is their site and they those balls just come right back you've seen on my some of my videos you just the ball will literally come right in between the two rails of the smart ball most of the time and you just set it back up again and hit again hit again hit again um you know, it's pretty, pretty cool for somebody to set up. That's not going to work for everybody, um, you know, out on a, on a range somewhere. But if you have your own, uh, you know, property where you want to set up your own practice area, I mean, we can set you up with a whole package of a full size range mat with a hole cut out that the smart ball goes into perfect. Actually, those holes can be, you know, the piece that's cut out is like a manhole, uh, cover. We can, you can put that back if you wanted to you know, take the unit out. The units come with a carry bag, so you can just take the unit itself and take it anywhere that you want it to, especially for short game. It's a super, super, super effective chipping and pitching tool. I mean, if you sit there and you work on your chipping game, if you freeze your body, put your hands forward, wait for it, and just come down, you know, onto the, the unit, if you do any wrist scoop, any weight shift, any shoulder dip, any hip dip, any knee bend, you're going to change your light pattern instantly. You're just going to, it's, that's the thing about it. It gives instant feedback every single swing. It's showing you exactly where you're going through that light grid and how it's changed from swing to swing. Obviously the goal would be to just come down exactly on that same attack angle every single time to bring the center of the club face right on the back of the ball. And that you'd just be shocked at how difficult that is to repeat over and over and over. You know, anybody can can improve and um, improve their consistency and their ball striking by using our device without a doubt. Rick, talk about the durability of the product because I'm guessing that repeated, you know, folks who got, you know, a bad swing, right, as they are trying to improve their swing and get it more on plane and, and you know, hit the right yep. spots and that sort of thing. I'm guessing people are, yep. are uh, you know, back, you know, h hitting the sides and, and that sort of thing. Talk about how durable the product is. Oh, my gosh. I tell you what, that's something that I think a lot of people look at because if you just look at the product, you think, oh, man, that's going to get smashed. You can hit that with a sledgehammer. The plastic material that our device is made out of is, is unbreakable. The, the, the clear cover that covers the, the lights is Lexane that's unbreakable, like a liveboard. You, people, and like you said, people have, I've had people full power smash into it 
and it's all rounded and sloped, so it just ricochets off. But, you know, it sounds like a gunshot went off. Uh, we were in Boston at the PGA Merchants show up there, and a guy was drinking and hit it. And, I mean, I thought a gun had gone off. I turned around, and he looked at me and went, oh, my God, it's a dude. Break it, you buy it. <laughs> and he runs off. <laughs> and all it does is just scuff it. It's kind of like plexiglass. Um, in a hockey rink, you know, if some, you know, you shoot behind the net, you know, that glass, it's like that. It just right. makes a scuff mark. You could take a hammer and smash it. It wouldn't break. It's not, it's, 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 and actually talking about, you were talking about swing plane, you mentioned and, and being on plane because of the rail size and the straight line setup, it helps with alignment visually. It helps with. You you can't swing. You'd be shocked at how wild playing, you know, looping over the top swinger people, how the unit tightens up their crazy, you know, slashing swing planes because your brain isn't stupid. Your brain knows this has my swing, my club head has to go straight through for 16 inches through this this zone. And if I come too sideways or too inside out, I'm going to clip the the unit. Y your brain isn't that stupid. It's like, you know, if, if you took a, a five-foot-wide door and closed it up three feet wide, you're not going to walk into the door. You turn sideways. Your brain automatically, our unit actually helps tighten or, or better your swing plane by just swinging through the unit. If you're if you're really, I mean, someone who came up to it who was a really poor golfer or a beginner, we wouldn't have them swinging full swings. You would just start off with a, with a, with a chip, build up to a small pitch swing, then a little bit bigger, so that you're comfortable swinging through and brushing the grass without, you know, fear. It's it's funny, but people that are really really bad, they don't they won't want to swing on. It. They'll just go say, no, 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 I can't. I can't swing through that zone. I'll smash it. And within five minutes of them just building up, starting off, and that's why we're we're using golf professionals and teachers to, you know, start off showing people the unit and, and demoing it for them so that they can build up their confidence. It builds up confidence in your ball striking because you're actually being led through that zone and then you're aiming, there's aim arrows on the ramp, the entry ramp and the exit ramp have arrows on them. So you aim the arrows at your target, make sure your student's standing, you know, parallel to that target line. Ball positioning, you know, depending on what club you want to use and your personal preference, but you get your ball position set. And now you know that you're, you're set up properly. There's no doubt that you're that you're aimed properly, and now the, now you're just trying to hit the ball at your target, make it land at your target, and light as few uh, lights as possible. I mean, you can light 30 lights max. That's five reds, uh, 10 yellows, and 15 greens. And as you shrink that number from 30 down to 25, down to 20, down to 15, you're just gonna you'll know and you'll feel that you're striking the ball more solid. To a certain point, at some point, you're going to get so far left, you'll top it. If you're too far left, you top the ball. So then you bat, you know, just you'll you'll find that happy spot where you're hitting the ball really solid, feeling, and it, that just depends on the person. If they're more of a sweeper type swinger, you might find that a five yellow, uh, fifteen greens is perfect for you. 
then repeat it. Don't do six. Don't do seven. Don't do eight yellows. So, Rick, let our listeners know, where can they go to check out the product, see it for themselves, see some of the videos and that sort of thing, and get more information about what the product is? Cool. Thank you, Chris. Um, the biggest thing is to remember is that our product is smart ball golf and that that is all one word. That winds up being broken down into the smart ball or smart ball golf three words. Our, our brand and our product and all of our information is under smart ball golf, all one word. If you go on YouTube and look up smart ball golf, all one word, we're on YouTube. If you go on Instagram at smart ball golf, Twitter at smart ball golf, Facebook, Smartball Golf, we have a Facebook page. And then SmartballGolf.com is our website where you can order the match, you can order the units, and you can get all the information about what it does, how it works. Great stuff. And, you know, the, the product is absolutely spectacular. Again, it's SmartballGolf.com. Rick, I can't thank you enough for, for your time tonight. It was great having you as part of the show. And, and uh, and sharing all the great things that uh, that your product is uh, out there and available to do again smartballgolf.com Rick take care thanks for being a part of the show tonight I really appreciate your time you too Chris thanks for having me on bless you brother alright alright take care take Rick care. and that is Rick Marcy again one more time smartballgolf.com looks like a fantastic product and again you can see all the videos out there on YouTube and on his uh, on his website as well Really good stuff. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Dan Quinn and Rick Marcy for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check us out on our Facebook page, Next on the Team with Chris Mascaro. Give me your feedback there. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future guests, let me know. We'll be glad to get it on the show for you. Please also check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to stream or download a lot of our uh, you know, more recent episodes as well as see who our future guests are going to be. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. And that show, like this one, is also available as a free podcast on TuneIn and Podbean as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days and their insights into into today's game as well. We also highlight two players doing great things in their community in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. Again, you can find both shows online, ThursdayNightTailgate.com and this show next on the T.net. Folks, thanks for choosing to listen to this show today. We really appreciate it. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Christmas Carol, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us same time every Saturday. The weather may be cooling down, but the savings are heating up at your local Sears Auto Center. This Labor Day, you could get four durable all-season die-hard tires and only pay for three. Plus, you'll also get a $100 Sears Award card to use on future purchases. Great savings backed with a 70,000 mileage warranty. Die hard. Don't wait. 
Visit SearsAuto.com to find a Sears near you and take advantage of this Labor Day sale. Installation required. Exclusions may apply. Offer valid now through September 9th. The weather may be cooling down, but the savings are heating up at your local Sears Auto Center. This Labor Day, you could get four durable all-season die-hard tires and only pay for three. Plus, you'll also get a $100 Sears Award card to use on future purchases. Great savings backed with a 70,000 mileage warranty. Die hard. Don't wait. Visit SearsAuto.com to find a Sears near you and take advantage of this Labor Day sale. Installation required. Exclusions may apply. Offer valid now through September 9th.